Hello, welcome to the podcast. Uh, this week's episode is going to introduce uh, one brand new selection of tunes or collection of tunes and uh, kind of a little bit more intentionally use another. So um, this week we're going to have, uh, we're going to introduce Edward Bunting, which is uh, kind of piano player, organ player, and uh kind of the, the fellow that claimed to have transcribed the kind of last remaining of the old Gaelic harpists in uh, 1792 Ireland. So we're going to listen to a couple of their tunes and also going to have Simon Chadwick is, uh, we're going to play a track from Simon Chadwick, who's sort of the, the head guy on figuring out what old uh, Irish harps and Gaelic harps sounded like and so thankful for that. Uh, and then we're also going to listen to a couple versions of um, We Pickle and Toe, or O'Sullivan's March, as I first heard it. So we'll talk about that a bit. And um, yeah, so Edward Bunting is the one the one new collection. We're also going to start playing music by a guy named McGibbons. Um, McGibbons has, wrote a collection of Scottish tunes. He was the head fiddler for the Edinburgh Scottish Society, or... Celtic Society, I think just Edinburgh Scottish Society, um, head fiddler in the 1740s, and his collection is published uh, between 17, I think it's 1745 and 1746, so, or 47 or something. So definitely into that very early, uh, or kind of mid-18th century, and certainly um, popular tunes during the Jacobite, uh, last of the Jacobite uprisings, and then um, along the same lines, we've got some tunes from Oswald. Actually, the the Oswald and the McGibbons tune overlap. I was going to do another Oswald tune, um, but it's just too hard. It's too hard and too good, so we're going to do a proper Oswald tune next week, I think. I've spent hours trying to figure out... Um, well, I've spent hours trying to figure out Oswald's version of We Pickle and Toe, and it's too hard. And then I spent hours trying to figure out his version of uh, Over the Water to Charlie, and it's good it's really good and i'm nearly there and i just decided to hold off until next week since last week's episode was a full uh over an hour long i thought you know if this one's a bit short that's going to be okay um yeah so we're going to finish off with simon chadwick doing kitty terrell as um, the harpist played it and then i'm going to do kitty terrell as o'farrell transcribes it uh, in his pocket companion around 1806 so Lots of tunes, two new, two new composers. Kind of light on Highland Pipes this episode, um, and, which is a consequence of me giving up on, <laughs> giving up on uh, Oswald's version because I was going to have the Angus Mackay version of Over the Water to Charlie. Um, but we opened up with Highland Pipes. So that was Dogs Bite Chapman, which is apparently Scots for peddler in the 18th century or 19th century, so dogs bite peddlers. Um, it's a Donald MacDonald tune uh, out of the 1820, or no, 1828 publication, so good old tune. Might be older than that. Actually, I think it is older than that. I found another reference to it in a fiddle book, but uh, nah, it's all, it's newer than... Yeah, all, everything, every, the other versions I could find of Dogs Bite Chapman is from the Sky Collection and the Stuart Roberts and things that are in the 1880s. So anyway, so it seems like Donald McDonald might be the oldest setting of it. Uh, but other than Dogs Bite Chapman, like everything else we're playing is super old, um, old this week. So that's good. I'm always kind of at a loss. Uh, half of, like half of my listeners aren't, aren't from the States. And so part of me feels obligated uh, to like comment on what a horrible state of affairs we have in the states for the non-American listeners and also for the American listeners, like things are bad here. Um, but uh, and then I wind up putting so much effort into the podcast when it comes down, when it comes time to actually record, I can't, uh, I can't think about it. I'm just so fixated on how hard these tunes were <laughs> or how rewarding they were. So um, anyway. Where I am in Iowa City feels sort of safe, although we have a governor that is um, doing everything she can to, like, not actually take this pandemic seriously. So, I don't know. The pandemic is scary, but our local um, city council has 
you know, month, like a month ago at least, already kind of agreed to all of the Black Lives Matter protests kind of suggestions and demands. And if they actually go through with them, we'll have uh, a bit more equitable society. So hoping that's going to happen. Um, I don't know. Like Iowa is a red, is a very conservative state. And the president is clearly sending his kind of secret police or whatever, his, his goon squad. Um, he's sending those out to Democrat-controlled areas um, and a not at all thinly veiled threat and promise of violence. So I don't know. I, I, I guess we'll be safe for the secret police in Iowa. Yay. Uh, ugh. Yeah, it's not, it's not great. A friend of mine just kind of left, um, left, left the States and went overseas, um, from where she was, where she was from. And I just had this sense of relief, like, oh, I'm so glad somebody got out. Um, I don't know. Feels pretty intense here. Anyway, let's get on to the music. So, um, I see, looking at the stats, there's quite a few people have you started downloading. So be sure if you haven't already to, to look for the podcast on your favorite um, podcast listening service. So if that's iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio or any of those things, you can find us there. If you can't, send me an email and I'll see about getting the podcast on that server. Um, didn't hear any feedback about the prospect of a Patreon or anything. And at this point, the idea of doing all the work to set that up sounds like more work than it's worth. And the idea of asking for money when there's so many things going wrong also feels pretty terrible. So... Um, if you want to support me, just donate some money to a bail fund or some coronavirus relief. I would appreciate it. You can even tell me, hey, I donated this because you asked me to. Um, anyway, but uh, we'll see if that Patreon thing ever happens down the road once I start putting these extra episodes together. Um, yeah. Didn't uh, didn't have any emails necessarily specifically about the podcast or anything, but again, had a, a flurry of communications from people on Facebook and Instagram that were really charming. So thank you for reaching out and talking about things from the podcast. Now that it's like a week later, I can't remember what they were specifically in detail to talk about it. Oh, yeah, I can. Um, one guy was talking about uh, that it'd be kind of nice to have a like an environment to... I don't know, to share tunes and learn tunes. And I was trying to think of how to do that. That wouldn't be like, that would just be a little bit more open environment for people to post. And I'm also trying to think of a place to do that. That isn't Facebook I'm doing everything I can to try to put less and less on Facebook. So, um, but that's sort of what I was imagining is a venue where we can post a video and kind of talk about it. Um, like a, a tune. I've been posting tunes of the week, like me personally, to Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. But I don't know. I was thinking about maybe picking one tune a week from the podcast and talking through how I decided to play it that way and maybe doing it like a tutorial. But that's making a claim to me knowing what I'm doing more than I'm kind of comfortable. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's what I'm wondering. I was thinking about Reddit maybe. I don't know if Reddit would be a good place to do that. It's weird, you know, going on... I wanted to get off Facebook because it was too toxic, and I went to Reddit and Twitter. Did I say this last week? And that feels less toxic somehow, um, despite the reputation. Uh, anyway, so if anybody has any ideas about uh, if this is a good idea, like if we should do a learn a tune a week, or uh, like a, a place where we could host videos with one another if for people that are interested in learning older tunes and kind of talking about it, uh, let me know. Let me know if you get any ideas or thoughts. Uh, if Reddit seems like a god-awful idea, tell me that, too, because I'm kind of, at this point, I'm leaning towards looking into Reddit. Sorry, I have got this microphone set up in a bad position, it seems. Okay, anyway, so speaking of people reaching out, um, somebody commented on one of my tunes of the day just asking if I knew O'Sullivan's March, and uh, I posted O'Sullivan's March as, like, a tune of the day, the ninth day of the year, so like way back in January 9th, and I I didn't, I was feeling sick that day, and so I just posted an old video of me playing it, and I was like, you know, I should I should look into it, and so I looked into it, and holy buckets, is there, is this an old tune, um, and are there so many different versions of it, so I've, I was first exposed to it as O'Sullivan's March on the Rob Roy soundtrack, I think, played by the Chieftains, 
and I think the Chieftains have used it in some other other soundtrack work. But it's a good tune. Really like it. Uh, and then shortly after hearing it in Rob Roy, um, Barnes and Noble bookstores over here in the States, for whatever reason, would like they had a bagpipe music book for sale, like a tiny little thing they printed. Um, and it was, if I remember correctly, it was a bunch of Terry Tolley um, kind of composed or arranged Irish tunes. And he had O'Sullivan's March in there. And so between listening to The Chieftains and uh, Terry Tully's setting, I think it was Terry Tully, I'm going to feel bad if it wasn't, um, I wound up playing this tune that I always call the Sullivan's March. And uh, yeah, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to Sullivan's March. First, I'll play you my version that I played for years that's sort of based on this Tully and Chieftain's version. Uh, and then we'll start looking at the various versions of Wee Pickle and Toe, uh, or a rock in a Wee Pickle and Toe, uh, going all the way back. So we're going to listen to... Uh, first, we'll listen to Donald McDonald's version. I mean, we're going to listen to my more contemporary version. Then Donald McDonald version that takes us back to the 1820s. Uh, and then we're going to listen to um, Oswald's, James Oswald uh, version of the tune, which is probably... I'm having a hard time kind of tracking when Oswald's uh, Caledonian Pocket Companions are published. But sometime, I think they're published between 1745 and 1760 for the whole spread of 12 of them. So someplace in that range. Uh, and then the oldest one that I could find is McGibbons. So McGibbon is another new um, new manuscript that we're using. So uh, we'll listen to all, all three of those versions. Uh, but so let's first get our bearing straight here with uh, O'Sullivan's March played on Highland Pipes by me. Like I said, I think this is kind of a combo of Terry Tully and... Uh, oh, I just, I can feel that name being wrong. Um, Tully and the Chieftains. So, here you go. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, so hopefully that's something we're all mostly familiar with, uh, or at least you are now. Uh, so the next one I'm going to play is a Donald McDonald set. Now, Donald McDonald's setting for it is sort of, um, it's round, it's a little bit dull, um, and it's sort of nonstop. <laughs> like, in this whole setting of Donald McDonald's, in the first part, there are two quarter notes, and in the second part... There are two quarter notes. Now that being said, I think they are asymmetrical. Yeah, let's see. There's one, two, three, four. So there's four bars in the first part that repeat. The second part are eight bars, and it still has a repeat. And I don't know, like, so the, the people that are recording these things are more musically trained than I. And so I assume that those repeats are intentional, and it's not like a, wow, you wouldn't repeat this because it's twice as long. Um, so I don't know, that's interesting to me, the, you know, it, it seems like most bagpipe tunes that are written today and music in general is symmetrical, where the, the same number of phrases in each part. Um, there's one thing that's a little bit tricky, like I said, sometimes, uh, MacDonald and Mackay write out more complicated grace notes in a way I don't quite recognize, so I'll just play it. Well, you can look at it. I'm going to have the links to all these sheet music. You can look at it. But there's sort of a weird thing. And I'm not sure if my version of trying to interpret it works. It just sounds a little muddled on Highland Pipes. But it's... So there's the... And then he does 216th. 
really quick thing with a grace note between, and then he goes to a B and C, and it just sounds like that B should also be a grace note. Um, it's sort of how I wound up playing it, but it just sounds muddy. Uh, um, anyway, so this version of it uh, with me playing is, is Donald McDonald, um, two times through, sort of close to as written, and then the third time I just kind of futzed with the phrasing a little bit. I, I think it's a tune that really begs for some burls and um, grips some more of those kind of low G touch-in embellishments, which again, there are none in the way it's written. So throughout my playing, if you hear a low G gracing of, of any sort, that is my choice, or not choice, that is my compulsion to add those in there. So anyway, here is uh, Donald McDonald's 1828 setting for the Rock and the Wee Pickled Toe. Uh, apparently, the rock is a reference to the weight when you're doing um, hand spinning. Like when you're when you're making fiber or yarn, uh, any living history folks or people that go to museums or weavers are certainly familiar with this, but you have to take, you know, loose material and twist it into yarn. And so one of the ways you do that is have a weight that you spin, and then you have the, the loose fiber and it with the spinning it gets twisted into yarn so the rock and the wee pickle toe is um the rock is the weight that's doing the spinning and the wee pickle toe from what i could gather is like a pickle shaped toe or toe being kind of a flaxen fiber is the thought um that's the story i got looking around for it anyway anyway so here's donald mcdonald and the rock and the wee pickle toe Okay, so, you know, it's a little, it's a little weird, a little dull, maybe. I mean, it's not. It's a really cracking tune, uh, just playing it that way. The, the, I just really want the, the end of the phrasing to have a quarter note there rather than just eighth notes. Okay, so for this next version, um, I came, so I, I've, I've come to terms with James Oswald. Uh, I think my... James Oswald and um, the next guy, uh, McGivens, both do like really 18th century music. And to me, what that means is like a, a basic melody with a bunch of variations. And when I first started looking through Oswald's Caledonian um, Pocket Companions, I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Like every tune that was in there, 
it was tons of tunes that I recognized the name of or had seen other places, but they were massive. So like a, a reel that is like a two-part reel um, or, or Rock and the Wee Pickle Toe. Maybe it's interesting that uh, Donald McDonald has Rock and Wee Pickle Toe as a 6-8. Um, but anyway, it would just have, it would have many more versions. And so it would be the basic melody and then a bunch of variations. And like that strikes me as something that was fairly common for, you know, folks that were making their own music is, um, you know, you, you just make those variations on it. And maybe I'm wrong. Uh, a little too much of that is probably influenced from reading Patrick O'Brien novels, where it seems like Stephen Maturin and Jack Aubrey often are just playing variations. But maybe what Patrick O'Brien is talking about is that they bought a published thing that has a bunch of variations in it. Uh, O'Farrell certainly does that. A couple of his tunes have with variations included in it. But essentially everything in Oswald's book has variations. And the thing that frustrates me about uh, Oswald setting for The Rock and the Wee Pickled Toe is that it's not it's not the bass tune and then variations. Essentially, his version is a slow version and then the tune that we'd recognize at the end. Um, so I tried... <laughs> this is going to be a late episode because I tried to do Oswald justice. Um, I realized one of my favorite tunes to play out of O'Farrell's Pocket Companion is Shiling Ogira, which is, you know, it's one of these tunes that has a bunch of variations on it. Um, and I think another one that I like to play is the, the Black Joke, which Farrell has a bunch of variations on it. And I think Paddywhack, too. Uh, he's got fewer variations. But uh, anyway, so this episode is going to be a little bit later than I hoped it would be because I kept on trying to do justice to one of Oswald's full tunes because they are quite musical and pleasant, uh, at least over the water to Charlie is. And I don't, I don't really know how this works. I don't know if you can pick and choose the variations you like. Um, I'd have it in here right now if I wasn't trying to do everything. When I was making my way through O'Farrell, my version of the Black Joke leaves out one of the variations because it was too challenging. Like, the challenge wasn't worth the reward, essentially. Um, and there's one phrase in Oswald's setting for uh, Over the Water to Charlie that's like that, where it's it's harder than it sounds nice. Um uh, so I don't. I, didn't, I think I would leave it out if I wasn't trying to demonstrate it. And Rock and We Pickle Toe. It's already set as a slow tune, and we'll do Mick Gibbons' version of it, which is slow as well and pretty similar. Um, it's already slow, and then it's just weird. There's just a weird track. Anyway, so what I'm going to play for you next is Oswald's. Um, in Oswald's setting, he has the tune, and then at the end, he says it says jig. So rather than slow, it, it switches to jig time or jig tempo, and then that jig section is a little bit more recognizable. So this is just me playing it on whistle, so you get an idea of what Oswald's recording of it was. Uh, again, probably between 1746 and 1760 is when this version was transcribed anyway. Yeah, definitely doing some different things. Um, uh, kind of, I like the variety you get on uh, whistle or Ellen pipes than what you can do with Highland pipes. Um, and you can kind of, you can clearly see. I, I should probably be going the opposite direction. We're going backwards chronological order, and if we've gone forward, maybe you could see how things change and become a little bit more. I don't know, predictable. I don't know if they just sound more predictable to me because this is the culture I've been grown up in, but. Um, of, of music as it is today. But let's listen to um, how Rock and Wee Pickle Toe seemingly gets its start. So, like I said, Oswald has it begin as a very long, slow tune with variations. McGibbons has just one slow setting of it. Um, so, yeah, so here is McGibbons' setting for the Rock and Wee Pickle Toe. <laughs> 
on Ellen Pipes. Uh, it's kind of funny. It, it occurred to me that, you know, I'm, I'm playing these tunes from the 1740s on Ellen Pipes, and, like, sure, technically, Ellen Pipes might have existed at that point. Certainly pastoral pipes did. Um, but, yeah, I think the way to think about this uh, is not really a Ellen Pipe repertoire from the 1740s, but a tune that someone in the 1740s wandering around Scotland could have had rattling around in their head, probably being played on fiddle or sung. Um, or probably Highland Pipes. I would bet that some version of the Rock and Wee Pickle Toe was already being played on Highland Pipes in the 1740s. We just don't have a bagpipe music collection um, from that era to see it in. Anyway, here is the oldest setting that we're going to get today of Rock and Wee Pickle Toe. Switching gears a little bit, uh, we're going to do one more tune from Dave McGibbon's um, collection. This new collection, so new to, new to us anyway, is called A Collection of Scots Tunes, Some with Variations, for a violin, hautboy, or German flute, with a bass for a violoncello or harpsichord by William McGibbon. Um, so Houtboy, I didn't realize this. One of my favorite tunes looking through uh, James Aird collection was the Irish Houtboy. But Houtboy is just an, an oboe, apparently. That's the old term for oboe, if you didn't know. Uh, like I didn't know. So all right, so let's do another tune from McGibbon. McGibbon published his, uh, he, had, he has three volumes of this Scots music. He also wrote kind of uh, chamber music, I guess you'd call it, uh, Scottish Baroque music. Um, People claim you can hear Italian influences in this stuff. I'm not musically trained enough to figure that out or recognize it. But um, these three books are published uh, between 1742 and 1746, I believe. Uh, so again, old, old tunes. And I was just I was looking for another McGibbon tune to play, and uh, this one kind of struck my fancy. It doesn't apparently... It doesn't sound as it isn't as bad as it sounds, but so this is a McGibbon tune called "If Ever If Air You Do Well It's a Wonder," which to me feels like the sickest insult you could give to someone. Um, but supposedly, uh, it was so James Oswald has it as well in his collections. So supposedly James Oswald actually wrote this, is what some people say. Um, so it was dedicated to the Duke of Perth. Uh, perhaps in 1740. I, I don't know. 
it, it, I, it seems like a really awesome insult <laughs> to me. And so anyway, uh, here's the tune. If ever you do well, it's a wonder. Um, and I think it sits okay on Ellen Pipes. Hope you enjoy. Fun little tune. Um, there's lots of good stuff in McGibbon. Kind of looking forward to um, playing some more out of it. Uh, again, you know, I think uh, yeah, trying to come up with a, you know, my interest in 18th century music came, or my interest in this came from trying to come up with a 18th century and early 19th century bagpipers repertoire. And there's just not a heck of a lot of bagpipe collections. Factors none um, published in from that time period that's still available. So, kind of left to look at what you know is is popular enough music. And the nice thing about um, the nice thing about Gibbon and Oswald is we've got two pretty massive collections of tunes from the middle of the eighteenth century. And there's a lot of overlap, but not overlap in the way that they're copied um, note for note. So it's not purely um, you know plagiarism. It's like oh these tunes are well enough known to, to show up in both. At least is how I would interpret that. I could be wrong about that. Um, so the next the next thing, the next gear we're going to jump to, uh, this is a new Irish collection. So McGibbon and Oswald both are technically Scottish, although I, I definitely see some similar tunes. I mean, obviously O'Farrell is a collection of Scots, English, and Irish tunes. And so it makes sense that there would be some overlap, but um, there's some Irish tunes that creep into the Scottish stuff too, or at least tunes that you see in Irish collections outside of O'Farrell. Um, this collection, I was really excited. Um, my kind of entry point into history um, professionally was 1797 Museum, or was a 1797 Museum. And the, so the 1790s have always kind of hold, held sway over me. And it's always a little bit irked me that O'Farrell stuff is technically a little bit after that. Uh, 1804, I think, is the first one that's published. 
but uh, it always seemed close enough to me. But then I found out, I just heard about Edward Bunting's collection, or just heard about it again. Uh, I'm realizing that I had listened to a fascinating lecture by Simon Chadwick about kind of combining the Pibroch and harp um, traditions, like how those things relate to one another. And he had talked about, uh, in that lecture that he posted on Alt Pibroch, had talked about uh, Edward Bunting's collection, or more to the point, he had talked about the, the gathering of kind of all the last Gaelic harpers in Ireland in 1792. Um, so since finding out, since uh, I started looking at Bunting's collection, and then reading kind of the preface to Bunting's collection, where he says, yeah, I was hired to get a transcription of all of these Gaelic harpists that uh, were brought in, I think it was to Belfast, to kind of play and record this ancient music and before it died out. And so I did it, and here you go. Um, this is that. And there's a pretty great lecture or two from, um, from Simon Chadwick about that process, kind of how Bunting came to go and do these transcriptions and sort of the problem with them. Um, Bunting is not a trained harpist. He's a, at least not, he's, he's, got, he's a classically trained musician and he clearly understood the harp, um, but mostly he played like harp, uh, or sorry, not harp, but piano and, and organ, I think. And so that's sort of his, his jam. And he was hired to kind of take these old harp tunes and make them musical. And, and so that's what he did. Um, but Simon's done some cool stuff of looking through the archives and finding, um, finding Bunting's notes, essentially. So rather than the published version that is all kind of polished up, you know, we still have, you know, essentially Bunting's field recordings from an anthropo anthropologist perspective. So lately, Simon's been posting videos to YouTube of kind of his interpretation of those live notes where... Um, Bunting hasn't had a chance to really make adjustments yet. He's just seeing the, the harpist play and then recording it. So we're going to hear uh, Simon's version of Kitty Terrell. And then I was going to play Bunting's version of Kitty Terrell as I would play on Island Pipes, but Bunting sets it at a... It's it's written at a way that I can't... I don't have that good of a chanter to, to reach the notes he's asking for. Um, so we're going to do O'Farrell's setting for Kitty Terrell, which I think will be... That would make sense, right? To hear the old kind of an interpretation of what the old Gaelic version of that tune sounded like on harp, and then to hear it on Ellen Pipes. Uh, but first, I just wanted to get another bunting tune in there. So um, this is, again, just kind of a uh, a funny titled tune to me. Uh, this is called John O'Reilly, The Active. Um, so I, had a, I have a hard time, honestly. It's going to be a challenge playing through, especially the first volume of bunting stuff, which was published in... Uh, I think 1796. Um, I, had, I had a hard time getting through it. Like, I, I don't know quite how to read the harp settings um, that's going on. There's a lot of notes to choose from. I'm kind of thinking of treating some of the harp notes as regulator indicators, like I should hit the note that correlates. But every time I've tried that, it, it hasn't really worked out too well. Um, but this tune, John O'Reilly the Active, great name for a tune. Uh, we're going to hear it on Ellen Pipes rather than harp. Uh, first.
Okay. Good stuff, I think. Um, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, really, we just want to say thank you to Simon Chadwick for uh, kind of agreeing. Well, thank you for all the awesome work he's doing. Um, there's, just like with bagpiping, uh, things, the instrument has changed uh, a fair amount. But as Simon is quick to point out, there's a living tradition from, you know, going all the way back to... The McCrimmons and then some to today, not just in manuscript form, but of, you know, pipers that have learned from other pipers, which is one of the reasons why I feel a little bit dumb doing things this way. But it, it is clear that piping has changed as well. Like, there might be a living tradition, but it's it's changed quite a bit. Um, Simon's whole uh, argument, or not argument, but um, a lot of his passion and, and work goes into trying to recreate a dead uh, Gaelic harping tradition that, you know, in 1792, they called for the, the gathering of all these old Gaelic harpers that belonged to an older tradition and an older style. And while harps still existed, it was a very different style of music, style of instrument, and style of play. And so Simon's had the, the challenge of trying to kind of make very calculated guesses about how these things sounded based on looking at paintings and original instruments and um and it, it winds up being good music uh, mighty good music so the harp he's playing is different than uh, how harps are i don't really understand the difference honestly uh i because i don't listen to enough harps although you know when i first listened to like immediately after listening to simon talk about pibrach and its possible kind of harp origins I thought about getting a harp. <laughs> like, I desperately wanted to have a harp to add to my demonstrations. I'm not sure if Simon actually said this in the lecture or if it was just kind of my weird takeaway and thoughts about it, but um, he's one of my takeaways was that, you know, if Pibrock starts on a harp, then it makes some of the movements make way more sense. Like a Kralua, um, you know, like all of these really fast embellishments uh, that seem to be at like warp speed in order to make this driving sound and pulsating feel like if you imagine that being on a harp first where a harpist can hit multiple notes at the same time that's sort of kind of replicating that sound and feel and honestly the last uh <laughs> the last music program i gave at grand portage with uh, my fiddler friend carrie it was sort of weird how we talked about that because i talked about how bagpipes were trying to emulate a stringed instrument and then the fiddle came along trying to emulate the bagpipe, uh, a woodwind instrument, and then it's clear that fiddles have influenced bagpiping as well. So there's a lot of this relationship between bagpipes and, and strings goes back and forth often, I think. Um, but yeah, so interesting stuff. So thanks again, Simon. Uh, I'm going to link to, I guess I'm going to link to several of those lectures that I found really interesting, um, but mostly I'll, I'll link to Simon's website where you can see what he's doing and uh, link to his YouTube, YouTube page so you can keep seeing the different tracks. I might have another one on here. Um, I don't know, he's, he's really giving <laughs> of his music. They're all Creative Commons and just really appreciated it. Uh, I sent an email and within the day he had responded not only on like a YouTube comment, but as a really sweet email. So here's Simon Chadwick's uh, interpretation of the dots, which is like, I think this one is the dots. Um, many of the recordings on YouTube, he's specifically just recording the dots. And, and I think this version of Kitty Terrell is also that same way where rather than recording the published or rather than him trying to play the, the published version, he's playing the kind of live recording or the field notes version of the tune. Um, so we'll hear that.
Okay, that's cool. Thanks again, Simon. Um, and so the last tune we're going to hear is me playing Kitty Terrell um, on Ellen Pipes. Kind of my quick interpretation of how Will Ferrell writes it. Um, I think, I hope, it's one of the, I don't know, I, I really respect what Simon's doing. Um, and I think it's a, it's a cool project and something worthy of, of kind of chasing down. And honestly, I, I don't have enough of a head for the history and theory of this stuff to be able to make kind of qualified arguments um, for or against the idea of kind of recreating an old sound. I feel like my approach is, is way lackadaisical and kind of lazy of just like, hey, there are tunes that have fallen out of popularity that were really common in the past, and some of them are really worth listening to. And then there's just part of me that likes to have uh, at least an idea, a guess at kind of what were the songs buzzing around people's heads uh, in the past and like kind of the era that I write about and study. Um, but I think, you know, this, this episode is a little bit different from others in that we've, you know, we've kind of been building towards this of having a bunch of nine eights and compare that a couple different versions of a tune, but kind of looking through all of these different settings for the same tune, um, some of them published, you know, maybe in the same year, but still having a, a different take on it. Like one of the things that has, you know, bothered me about competition and militarization of bagpiping is that it's it, we we get this idea that there's a standard setting and just by looking at you know um the different how different oswald and mcgibbon's settings are like obviously folk musicians make a change you know they they make it their own tune so uh i maybe embrace that too much in my approach to to music and certainly there's something to be said for trying to recreate um modes of playing and sounds as they existed in the past and see what that does to add more variety and richness to the music we get to listen to today. So anyway, I just, I love it. I'm a huge fan of listening to people kind of explore and think about how music sounded and how it was made and what it meant to be a musician even, um, in certain times. So, so yeah, that's my introduction. I suppose to Edward Bunting, um, thanks again to Simon and we'll go out with, uh, O'Farrell's setting of the same tune, Kitty Terrell. Um, I've made some pretty serious upgrades to the website uh, throughout the week. I started making links. I mean, every episode in the show notes on the website, I'll, I'll post links to, uh, if I can find them, uh, you know, versions of these tunes in the archives. Um, but rather than having to search through each individual episode for the collections, I've made a tune collection uh, tab on the website. So if you're ever curious and kind of just want to look around at essentially my, my tune book or where my sources are, you can just go to, um, you know, the website, waytotwag.com, and it's under tune collections as a tab. You can also just go to tune sources, you know, waytotwag.com slash tune sources. But there's a bunch of links there. Um, some things people are probably familiar with, Roger Cannon's bibliography of basically every published bit of Highland piping music that's ever existed. Um, it's a really incredible look, thing to look at. Uh, it's hosted on Alt Pbrook as well. This is a, a slightly different version of it um, that I found. Uh, with Jeff Hoare's kind of updates, and then a link to Cole Sean, who's got just a huge collection of bagpipe settings that include PDFs for all those things. And then something I've been using a lot this week is the traditional tune archive. Uh, and then just all, so those are kind of the first three tabs. And then the rest of it is just all of these old music collections. So uh, check it out, take advantage of it. Hope you like it. Um, and hope to hear from you this week. Leave us a review on iTunes. Um, make sure to be listening on your favorite podcast listening service rather than, you know, just a internet tab if you want to. Cheers. <laughs>